it's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Natalie Bucknell and today I have no co-hosts because they're off gallivanting around the Northern Territory. In their place, we're fortunate to have Andy panelling for us today. Hi, Andy. How are you going? Good. So at Parliament House in Darwin on June 20th, BZE launched another regional plan, the 10 Gigawatt Vision, how renewable energy can power jobs and investment in the Northern Territory. If you've followed our recent programs, you'll know that the Northern Territory is considering gas fracking opportunities to try and generate jobs and income. So this launch is very timely. The BZE plan was done in partnership with the Environment Centre Northern Territory. So today we're really excited to cross live to Darwin to hear about the launch of the 10 gigawatt vision. We have our very own roaming reporters Michael Standall and Kay Wenigal there to record the launch and find out about the response to the plan from government representatives, industry and community groups. Also, Vanessa Petrie, CEO of BZE, presented the plan at the launch and today she'll discuss the essentials of the plan and how the Northern Territory could benefit by embracing the massive renewable energy opportunities the region has. But first up, I think Kay wants to skite about the beautiful dry season weather in the Northern Territory. Hi Kay, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nat. I do want to Skype. <laughs> I, I think it's redundant. I think the people in the southern states don't want to hear about it and the people in the northern states, they already know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know the other thing is, I don't know why the people in the southern states are doing solar farms. It should be all up here in the north where it, it just doesn't rain for six months of the year. Yeah, and just sunny that whole time. Oh, really, I don't, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, perfect solar opportunities in the world. Yes, yeah, it is incredible, isn't it? And something we can, well, you're going to tell us all about how we can capitalise on that. Who was at the launch on the, on June 20th? Well, look, there was a really good group of people, I think of about 50. There were local government, um, businesses, community groups. There were a number of government ministers, two environment ministers. I wasn't sure how that worked out. One was a climate change minister and another one was an environment and energy minister. And we also have had a number of just interested people that came along, many representatives from the government. So uh, it was a, a very, very eclectic group and very relevant, obviously, to, yes. to what we were discussing and launching. And, and, and how was, was the report received by that diverse group? Well, it was interesting and it's very early days. You just, the report's presented, people don't know what the content is. They're, uh, they're digesting the minister, it still. Exactly, that's right. But the Minister for Energy actually closed a talk by saying 
she'd continue to work with the community to make sure of a strong future for the Territory and to not miss the opportunities that were put in front of them today. That's what she said yesterday. So that sounds very positive. That's wonderful. And yeah, and, it, and it's we've, great we've got that crossover. You know, Environment Minister is talking about economic strength in the Territory. Yes, yes absolutely. And, and the other yes, sorry. thing is that we got a lot of media coverage and I'm sure Vanessa will be able to fill you in on that. So the report was reported widely throughout the media, maybe even overseas, I'm not even sure. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, that's probably a good point to bring Vanessa into the conversation. You there, Vanessa? I am. How are you going, Nat? Yeah, really good. Thanks for making the time to join us today. Sounds like it's been very busy lead up to the launch. Yeah, it's been pretty busy and, of course, um, the team back in Melbourne has been absolutely flat chat for at least a fortnight getting the report finalised and locked down. So a massive shout-out to my amazing team. Here, here. Yeah, it's been a fantastic effort. So before mm. we hear about the plan, can we hear about another part of your team, the Environment mm. Centre Northern Territory? What do they do and what's their role been in the plan? Um, so they're the lead environment organisation for the Northern Territory and, and they're here to advocate for the protection of the Northern Territory environment. Listeners should definitely check out their website. But we, we wanted to partner with them because Eitan, our Beyond Zero Emissions Chair, he was living in Darwin for a year last year and talking to the parents of his school about the moratorium on gas which had just been lifted and, and you know that everyone was concerned about where where are the jobs going to come from so you know Aton connected with the environment center and we thought well, we should work together to show a different pathway to jobs and economic prosperity one that you know is driven by renewable energy and it was really important to work with Shah, the director of the Environment Centre, because when you know we, we we needed to work with people in the territory to research and develop the plan. Absolutely, it's so essential, isn't it, to have people on the ground who are familiar with the mm. the full context that you're mm. operating in. Mm, so, exactly. So the plan shows that by the 2030, the Northern Territory could build 10 gigawatts of solar power and other renewables, which is 20 times more than the current renewable energy target. So how could this be achieved? Well, there's two things how it could be achieved. Firstly, the build-out of renewable projects around Australia are getting bigger. So 10 gigawatts sounds really big and ambitious and exciting, and it is, but it's completely achievable. The other thing is the Northern Territory has a lot of experience delivering, you know, hosting major complex engineering projects. So they've got the skills and the experience to oversee and facilitate a build-out as big as a 10-gigawatt vision. What sort of infrastructure would be required to develop 10 gigawatts in the region? Well, I, I should go, um, I go through the seven opportunities. So we've, we've put together seven opportunities that form the basis of the opportunities. So okay, that'd is, be great. Yeah. So I guess the headline is if the build-out was delivered and the opportunities we talk about were, you know, were delivered as well, we'd see 8,000, more than 8,000 new jobs for the Territory, $2 billion of annual new revenue. And what's really important is that build-out forms the basis for secure future ongoing jobs. So we'd avoid the boom and bust cycle that we're seeing with the gas projects. So taking you through the seven opportunities, the first one um, we put forward is renewable hydrogen. So 
we're expecting, everyone is projecting a, a massive um, boom in an Australian renewable hydrogen export market. And that's been driven by our Southeast Asian neighbours, particularly South Korea and Japan, that are looking at building a, a renewable hydrogen economy. So by taking the lion's share, by capturing two-thirds of that um, market, the Northern Territory could generate 960 direct jobs and 590. And are they, is that ongoing jobs, Vanessa? Um, we'd expect um, most of those jobs are in the construction and build-out. So these jobs come um, from a report that ARENA commissioned and they don't separate out a direct and ongoing, but we, we would anticipate in renewable hydrogen, the majority would be in the construction. Right. Um, but it also, though, importantly, would lead to, you know, if it's projected, would also generate 2,000, um, over 2,800 indirect jobs associated with establishing and getting that market going. Um, so that's a really exciting opportunity. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of possibility. Yeah, and, just, you know, we talked about before, the Northern Territory is such an ideal place, geographically ideal, amazing solar resources. And it's so close to Southeast Asia, too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very, you know, and that excites a lot of people. Um, we also um, talk about how renewables can expand, build on um, the current mining sector in the Northern Territory and have mineral processing side by renewables. And uh, this is a really important initiative because it can grow over 2,000 new jobs and $800 million in annual export revenue, but what's really important about this initiative is it starts to establish secure ongoing jobs. Fantastic. Um, so what do you mean by mineral processing? We're mining a mineral at the moment. Most of those minerals in the Northern Territory are exported, so there's the ore is exported and then that ore is processed to extract the minerals and um, that value add is happening downstream at the moment. So just to give you an idea of the value of that, Manganese ore exports from the Northern Territory are worth $1.6 billion, processed elsewhere into products that have a worth of over $5 billion. So you can see the opportunity of bringing that um, opportunity into the Northern Territory. Absolutely. So the idea being that if we have abundant renewable energy, then the energy costs of that processing go down and we have mm. a competitive edge in doing the processing mm. domestically. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is um, essential also with this um, opportunity is we make it very clear that, you know, the um, impact of mining, um, you know, we recognise the impact of mining on communities, particularly historically the MacArthur River mine has led to a history of harm um, for people. So we make it quite clear that in moving forward with mining and minerals processing that, we need to really properly embrace the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals um, we need to make sure and show the world what best practice mining environmentally, socially and culturally looks like. And where some of the, some of the revenue we'd expect to generate from processing needs to be reinvested back into community to ensure that sites are properly rehabilitated. It's really important. So yeah, so it's a real benefit for communities, and and I think that really represents what Australians stand for, and you know would be proud to have happening in our country. Yes. So that was is that the second of the seven key areas, the mineral processing. Yes, there's more. There's more. That's that's only we're not even halfway there yet. Fantastic. No, 
No, well, actually, I should point out, like, you know, Michael Lord, who was the lead author of the project, and, um, you know, Eitan and Shah and our researchers that were doing the work were really surprised about the amount of opportunities that 10 Gigawatt build out opens up for the Territory. Yes, I can, I can um, see why. <laughs> yeah. So another um, initiative... Sorry, Nat. I think Kay had a comment to add there. Okay. No, no, I was, Vanessa, I was just going to ask about electrified mining, what the opportunities yeah. are there. Yeah, so we also put forward that mining could be, ele- yeah, could be fully electrified and powered by renewables. So what this would do um, is reduce the cost of mining. It's very expensive to transport diesel around um, to remote locations. And really importantly, electrifying mining um, would make the work a healthier and safer place workers. So at the moment, you know, workers are exposed to diesel particulates and, you know, we're seeing internationally reports of an increase of black lung. So mining is an important economic sector for the Territory and switching over to renewable powered um, electric processing just secures that important industry by making it more competitive and, and healthier. Okay. So is that number three of the seven? Well, it's well, yes, so number three. Four is manufacturing, I think. Yeah, so the next one um, we should talk about definitely is manufacturing. And, you know, you'll know, Nat, and listeners, that last year we released Electrifying Industry that looked at how renewable electricity can really um, boost our manufacturing sector. So the build-out also provides huge opportunities to expand manufacturing and Again, like processing, this is really important because it puts the found, you know, it creates ongoing stable jobs. So two ways this can happen. One is the build-out of renewable energy will require infrastructure to be developed. Um, so that could be, you know, over 1,000 new jobs um, in manufacturing those parts. We can also attract um, manufacturers to relocate or, and set up in the Territory and take advantage of the cheap um, solar renewable energy. Listeners, if you've just tuned in, we're talking to Vanessa Petrie from BZE about the 10 gigawatt vision for the Northern Territory that was launched recently in Darwin. Kay, please go on. Matt, I was just going to say there's a big presence of manufacturers up here already. You know, AVB is there and Siemens was there yesterday as well. So I think that there's a lot of interest from large companies to, to start doing a big manufacturing in Northern Territory from what I could see. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the salt, the amazing renewable resource, one important ingredient, but of course the Territory has really skilled workers and it's a really strategic location. Another thing that really excited me was Sun Cable was there yesterday and they're building an electric pipeline from the Northern... wanting to build an electric pipeline from the Northern Territory to Singapore. So what distance would that be? Have to get an Atlas map. And yeah. Map. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't have the stats that's on a, that. That's no, a, that. That sounds a, like a big undertaking. Five thousand kilometres. It's about yeah, five thousand. Yeah. One thousand. Wow. It's, it's a big undertaking, but it's made possible now. So with new high voltage direct current transmission lines, um, it is now technically and commercially feasible to do this. So um, one another initiative we put forward is to for the Northern Territory to sell um, renewable electrons directly to customers in Asia and the rest of Australia. Okay, so, so it's um, not just exporting renewable energy via hydrogen, also just direct mm-hmm. electricity across the line. Fantastic. That's yeah. Amazing. Yeah, so we're proposing that connect up to Indonesia, 
who are going to be needing a renewable energy source as they move to decarbonise their economy. So they're not, um, unlike Australia, they're not blessed with amazing solar and wind resources. They've got limited land for harvesting. So they need a solution and we can provide that solution. Okay, so are we up to number six now, Vanessa? I completely <laughs> out of order now. It was a big day yesterday. <laughs> so we've talked about renewable hydrogen and mineral processing, electrifying mining, increasing manufacturing and selling renewable energy direct. Yeah, so those initiatives we've discussed um, create, you know, really create the basis of job creation and trade and export opportunities. But the other two initiatives we've developed improve the life of people living in the Territory. So if we have a 100% renewable grid in the Northern Territory, we project that that would reduce the cost of living, um, would reduce household electricity bills by 30%. And if um, transport switched over to electric vehicles, then that could reduce the cost of transport by 80% for people. Gee, that's an enormous impact, isn't it? Why such a big impact on the transport costs? Diesel is very expensive, petrol. Mm. Okay. Um, and what what um, infrastructure would be required for that? Well, we actually found that the NT is ideally placed to host the infrastructure because there is really one main road through the Territory. You, would, you wouldn't need vast amounts of charging infrastructure. So it's actually really quite ideal. I mean, as we know, the range of cars are, you know, some cars are up to 440 kilometres and that's only going to increase. Yeah, so they, these next generation EVs are making it more and more plausible for places like the Northern Territory, isn't it, with longer distances between charging? Yes, yeah. yeah. I, th- I can I can hear Kay making plans to, to move there with uh. her EV. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think you might get there earlier than me. <laughs> But the the other opportunities, of course, would be in electric vehicles in mining, not just not just for residents up there. Yeah, so lots of lots of opportunities to eliminate diesel. So, what yeah. what sort of costs are we looking at for doing these these big changes, Vanessa? What we, what investment would be required for putting this whole plan in place? We've projected around a twenty billion dollars to do the build out, and while listeners might you know people who read that might initially think that's huge. The um, the major gas project that that occurred in the Northern Territory I think was um, fifty seven billion. So again it's a it's a realistic number and we know that um, investors are wanting to move towards these opportunities, these low carbon opportunities. Okay, so there is demand for those kind of investments. Well, we're, yeah, we're seeing globally institutional investors are flagging that they want opportunities to invest in low-carbon initiatives. And what policy supports will, will be needed from the government to enable that? Well, we um, we heard yesterday when we were talking to people at the events and we, we hosted a business roundtable that what they don't need from government is a financial handout, but what they do need is a really clear policy signal that the Territory want to host these projects. So an intention, um, to, you know, they want these opportunities to occur. And they also need really clear regulatory and market rules and they need those rules to remain constant. So they were really the two important conditions that the industry and investors present at the events really made clear that they needed. So we put forward in our report, first of all, seize the opportunity, develop a marketing, a marketing and a strategy for moving forward on the 10 gigawatt vision 
looking at incent- things that can incentivise investment to come to the Northern Territory. And we also um, put forward that the Territory should lobby for federal government support. There's a real case to make that um, many of these initiatives are nation-building projects. Yeah, well, look, what I find so exciting about this initiative is the real potential it's got as a catalyst for wider you know, and long-lasting economic renewal rather than just the boom and bust cycles that the Northern Territory has been experiencing with um, particularly with mining, and they're facing quite severe economic challenges resulting from that at the moment. And it also includes an economic development for remote and rural communities, yeah. which is always a challenge, isn't it? So is there a strong awareness in the Northern Territory around these boom and bust cycles? Uh, there's, a, there's a very strong awareness, and, and, you know, the priority for the Territory is on sustainable jobs. Um, it's absolutely crucial. So... You know, and the the ten year old vision really demonstrates that jobs can those kind of jobs can be created. So, as you say, Nat, there's the initial build out construction jobs, but then there's the ongoing secure jobs that are really, really critical to future prosperity. And you know, many of the initiatives that we put forward can provide that for the territory. Vanessa, in the report, you also recommended looking at royalties for processed and unprocessed minerals. That's something that Western Australia is doing at the moment and I think they've got a tax of about 7.5% on unprocessed material. Yeah, so there are, there are, that's right. You know, there are a range of incentives that the government could look to put in place to drive this. And, you know, there are things that you can learn, like you say, from WA. Um, also, Victoria. So, you know, the Victorian government has shown that you can incentivise people to set up shops locally. So, you know, we're seeing with the reverse auction and the renewable energy target coupled with a, a buy local content that's really growing jobs out in Portland the turbine manufacturer there and you know recently saw the announcement of a new um, setup in Geelong so you can definitely with incentives drive those just, you know really create those incentives to um, set up shops so another one of those is the domestic reservation policy I think that's being employed in Western Australia can you explain can you explain to us how that works I'm not the best expert to explain that. Okay. Hey, yeah, thought. I guess from what we've read, it requires a proportion of some of the minerals to remain within the Northern Territory until they're processed into metals. So, mm. Oh, that's right. I do remember that now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We'd have the effect of reducing the cost of minerals to entities that have got an interest in downstream processing. But So it does reduce the overall market value as a mineral, but increases mm. the revenue overall flowing to the Territory apparently. Big thing in yeah, the report was yeah. that do, do the value add for all the minerals that you're digging up and create opportunities and manufacturing, and that would bring a lot more revenue into the Northern Territory. Okay. But yeah, there, there are like a range of policy initiatives that other states and jurisdictions have used, both in Australia and overseas. So I guess the advantage for the Northern Territory government is they've got the opportunity to look at the different ways that you can incentivise and work out what's going to work best for the Territory. In terms of the 100% renewable energy in remote communities and supporting mm. Indigenous-owned renewable projects, mm. sorry, I'm jumping all over the shop a bit here, but there's already some remote communities with solar power and I understand yep. that there's an Aboriginal-owned business, All Grid Energy, that provides renewable energy to remote communities around Tennant Creek. Is the idea to build on initiatives like that that are already underway or would there be a different strategy or approach? Yeah, it would be to build on that. So we've um, developed a case study for Yindamu to show how you could have um, 
at 100% renewable microgrid. So at the moment, you know, grids are still provided by with diesel. So we've looked at a hydrogen microgrid system um, and we're suggesting that initially that would provide 95% of all of the energy needs and then over time as people you know, get, we get experience with the system, you can move to 100% and then use that as a springboard for other remote communities. And yeah, there is, um, there is you know, a huge opportunity for communities to own these enterprises and also potentially create additional renewable electricity if it's needed and wanted and that can be used to develop local businesses in remote communities. I'm sorry we need to wrap it up. The time has flown, but uh, this plan is just so comprehensive and powerful that not only covers technical aspects of renewable energy implementation, but also just the ways that government, local and federal can assist, how communities can benefit and how mining can be more profitable and how the Northern Territory can be a manufacturing hub and lots more. So well done. Congratulations on it. Where can our listeners find out more, Vanessa? You can go to our website. It's on our website, bzd.org.au. Go down, um, download it and definitely have a read. And you can also, as you said, peruse the media. We've been covered in a really great article in The Guardian yesterday, ABC Renew Economy, um, The Australian Today and The Daily Telegraph. If you want to get the quick version, there are some really good media reports of it too. Oh, fantastic. Thanks so much for your time today, Vanessa and Kay. Thank you, Nat. Have a Thanks, great day. We've been speaking to Vanessa Petri, CEO of BZE, and our intrepid correspondent, Kay Wenigal. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.